Matthew 10, verses 1 to 8. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his, son, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. I just realized I went to 12 and I was supposed to go to 8, but it doesn't hurt to get the extra bit. Um, and uh, our next reading is James 5, 13 to 20. And invite Madeline to come and read that for us. The prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will have saved them from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the law. So I'm going to invite Bishop John to uh, give us our uh, word, which is uh, based uh, mainly on the James 5 passage. Bishop John. In the name of the living liberating, life-giving God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, it's a real delight to be with you once again. And um, Charlie, I was going to say thank you for suggesting both that I focus on this text from James and on the theme of real faith praise. I can honestly say that I would normally have picked this reading. I would normally, if I'm honest, stay away from it 
and from the theme. And that's partly because when I was younger, I was reluctant to speak about things like the prayer and healing because I felt a little bit immature on that. But I do want to speak today and touch on this text from James and its encouragement for us to pray and especially to pray for the sick and the suffering. So I'm just going to read out that text we've had, I'm amazed, three times already. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And it goes on. This is not a biblical sermon. I'm just going to put it now. I, I, I actually do mostly do sermons that are very tied to the text, and I would be delighted when I see, see on a screen, open up your Bibles. Um, but I would just say right now, I am going to go in a different direction. It's more of a meditation on that text, some ideas that springs to mind. So please just go with me if you can. Briefly, about 30 years ago, I worked in a Canadian parish in the city of Montreal. It's a fabulous city. And there, there was a young man who was in a wheelchair. He was wheelchair bound, as we used to call it in those days. And I used to visit him. I've forgotten why he was in a wheelchair. But he was the same age of me in his 20s. And it was thought it would be good for me, the kind of the young training priest, to go and visit him. And I used to. He was angry. That's what I remember. He was angry at the church and he was angry at God. Because for all the prayers that he and others had offered for him, he was stubbornly stuck in his wheelchair. Now, alongside that memory, I remember a particular church in Montreal. I, I don't know, have anyone here been to Montreal? It's a fabulous city. It is. And there in Montreal, there's the shrine of St. Joseph's Oratory. It's a Roman Catholic shrine. And it's on Mont Royal. It's on the mount. And it's a really grand church. And there's quite a climb to get up to it. There have in the past been multiple miraculous healings at the oratory. And as testimony to those, those healing miracles, there in some of the side aisles are wooden crutches that are left as evidence of these healings. Not just a few, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of wooden crutches. It's quite a staggering thing to see as you walk around the oratory. And I'm just going to say it's quite an easy thing to Google and you'll see the photographs of them. But I'm going to say this. I, even as I registered in my mind that there were hundreds of wooden crutches there, I could not see one prosthetic leg left behind. And that's my starting point for this. 
for all the miracles that we hear in the world of faith. I have to be honest, I've yet to see someone grow back a limb. And I know if you jump on Google, you will see accounts of this happening, but I can tell you those don't seem to be really accurate accounts. Now, I am not doubting, I am not doubting that many of those who made their way to St. Joseph's Oratory found healing. I'm not doubting that there are people who find their prayers for healing answered. I know them. But equally, I know there are people of faith who find their prayers sustainedly unanswered. And I want to make sure whenever I preach on this theme of healing, that they never feel told off. That they never feel unworthy. I want to say this as well. If you've had a miracle happen in your life, nothing, nothing I will say from here will change that. And surely one miracle is enough for a whole life. But I do suspect that there are others here quietly harboring guilt over miracles prayed for that have never been delivered. Now, so I'm going to pivot quite quickly and make this observation. That beautiful text we had from James is actually not so much about miracles, but about prayer and about persistence in prayer. So I want to make this rest of this kind of meditation be about what prayer is and about how we pray. So the sermon's going to take a different direction right now, and you can actually take a breath after what was a pretty intense start to a sermon. There is a joke that there are two kinds of people in the world. I'm not sure if you've heard this. There are the people that divide people into two kinds of people, and then there's the rest of us. <laughs> now, I'm about to do that right now over the issue of prayer. Because one of the real privileges, real privileges of being your bishop is this, is I get to see the Christian faith, in a sense, lived out in all these different parishes in the southern region. And I am always amazed by how much we share in practice and belief. However, over the issue of how we pray, I do see quite a difference. I don't know if you've seen this difference. The difference is this. It's between people, when I, you say, let us pray, who will immediately jump to vocalizing their prayers. And those other people, when you say, let us pray, in a sense, put their hands together and bow their heads and look almost quiet and passive. For those who are used to vocalizing, speaking out their prayers, it can look like those who are sat quietly are doing just and only that. When are they going to start praying? But for those who are used, in a sense, to praying in a contemplative or a meditative way, and I struggle over those words all the time, which is a bit of a problem being a bishop, in a contemplative way or a meditative way, those vocalized prayers can almost seem like shouting at God. How do you pray? I'm used to leading prayers, vocalizing prayers. But as I've gotten older, 
I am more comfortable contemplating and meditating. And it seems to me sometimes both those prayers, whether I am speaking them out or I'm just sat quietly, at their core are prayers of thankfulness. We are, in a sense, Eucharistic people. People who are being, in a sense, thankful because of what God has done in our lives, in our world. I'm just going to say, I told you this wasn't a biblical sermon. And I've told you about my own prayers and how I pray. And I accept that others might pray differently and have a different focus for their prayers. And that's fine. But that's how I found I've ended up praying. And I'm just going to say, it's kind of easy when life is good to be thankful. But what happens, and I'm trying to talk personally here, what happens when someone you love is suffering, suffering terribly, or when someone you love is sick? What happens when you yourself are sick? One illness I know in, de- in particular, depression, seems to rob the person of the capacity to be thankful. That's what depression kind of is. I dare say there are other illnesses like that too. What then? How do we pray when we can't even be thankful? There have been times in my life when I've found it hard to be thankful. I'm just going to say I've been unbelievably grateful for the great prayers of the church, whether it be the Lord's Prayer or the Nunc Dimittis or even the Ave Maria, just great prayers of the church that sustain and hold you when you find it hard to verbalize or construct a prayer yourself. Times when being thankful has frankly been really, really difficult. That's one of the reasons why I'm really grateful for the Anglican liturgy that we have. It exposes us to great slabs of biblical text and wonderful prayers. And most of those prayers you find in our prayer book, of course, are just straight from the Bible. So I'm just going to make this very practical. If you don't have a prayer book, and many of us don't have prayer books these days, you can get the daily prayer app on your phone. And indeed, there's a Church of England prayer app, which amazingly allows you to hear someone offering the daily prayers. It's just that you need to tolerate an English accent if you do that. And I'm just going to say, if you're in this church with this priest or this bishop, probably you're okay with that. (laughs) So where am I taking this sermon, if I may say? Where is this sermon landing? There is, in truth, a deep mystery around prayer and healing. But we know that people of faith pray. We pray with thankfulness, and even when we can't, we still pray. So I guess, if you're following me, there may be a question lurking in the back of your mind. You might even want to ask me this. If we're to pray, Bishop, and if you acknowledge at times that illness and sickness are not always cured or healed by prayer, what is the point of the prayer? Why are we to pray? So I'm going to tell you how I see how prayer works. And I appreciate, to be absolutely honest, 
This is me speaking. It's not, it's not um, me using the text or using any authority. It's just me and my life. For me, prayer has always opened up more and more possibilities, avenues and pathways. As someone else has put it, prayer makes coincidence happen. I really like that. We live in a life where sometimes there are coincidences, but prayer seems to make more of them happen. And even more than that, being prayerful seems to make that which is around me new again. Unexpected things happen. And I find that great phrase from Revelation, in God, God has made all things new, really powerful in terms of prayer. Sometimes just sitting quietly, and it's almost as if the day shifts around you, and you can see the world afresh. So can I give you one last story? One last story, not set in Canada, but set actually in Australia. It is about oh, 25 years ago, I actually worked in South Australia, in the parish of Maitland on the York Peninsula. Come on, who's been down to the York Peninsula? Yeah, I thought it'd be more of us who've been there than been to Canada. It's a lovely, beautiful place. And I was doing, as a curate, work in a parish there. And I had been invited to an evening meal by one of the church wardens. And I knew his wife herself was disabled. She was in a wheelchair, a bit chilly, and she was going to invite over another friend who was a, um, I think, a paraplegic or quadriplegic. I can't quite remember which. And he, too, needed a lot of help in living his life. Now, I was kind of really, if I'm honest, confused by this because both the paraplegic guy and the, the woman, the wife of the church warden, were para-Olympians. They were the first Olympians I have ever met in my life. But I was also really confused because even though I was in my mid-twenties, I had yet, in truth, really to ever deeply encounter anyone who was profoundly disabled. I'd grown up in an easy life in England. And I didn't really know how the meal was going to go. I remember arriving at this lovely house, being welcomed in. We gathered round a, a very large kind of table and we had a meal. Like that, just had a meal. But what I remember was that just as the meal went on, the conversation got richer and deeper and more exciting. And I was thinking to myself, this isn't just a meal. This is one of the best meals I've ever had. It was a profoundly enlivening experience. And I was completely forgetting that I was sat with people who were in wheelchairs. They were people. And it was incredible. It was utterly, utterly inspiring to be there. The people around that table weren't disabled or abled. They were all leading fruitful, faithful, fulfilling lives. So my personal deep reflection, winding myself all the way back, when I sat with that young angry fellow 
in his wheelchair in Montreal, maybe my better prayer would have been that he had a fruitful, faithful, fulfilling life. Amen.